I don't hear the sound of people reaching for their Bibles yet. There we go. The rustling begins. Good. Well, when when we were planning, uh, the elders and myself, when we sat down and started having a look at, at me finishing up, because I thought I'd be here right through to the end of Corinthians, uh, initially there was this little exhale of relief that I had because I was like, wow, I might finish up and the elders get to handle all the really controversial stuff, um, which is not the case. So this morning uh, we're going to be having a look at some uh, some delightfully controversial stuff. We're going to be in Corinthians chapter 14, right in the middle. So open your Bible up. If you take notes, I really want you to take notes this morning. We're going to recap a little bit. And then we're going to jump into something profoundly confusing that Paul has to say. Um, If we remember, we are in the city of Corinth um, in the ancient Near East. Um, We remember from previous weeks about the culture and the, the melting pot of different ideas that was going on. And Paul giving instructions to this church Uh, which was meeting in someone's home, the home of uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and Paul giving instructions to them in light of the culture that they were confronted by. We'll talk more about that as as we get into Corinthians uh, chapter 14 this morning. But let's start again from verse number 1. Paul has just finished what we call chapter 13, talking about all the things that love is, and he keeps coming back to this word, um, oikodomeo, which I'm pronouncing wrong. Good morning, Stella. Hello. I'm going to pronounce other Greek words wrong today. Yep. Yep, like to build a house. Yep. Yep. With the tongue, you can't build. If you're a prophet, you can build the church. You were here. Last week, and you, yeah, you got it. You got it. This is good. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right, this, yeah. All right, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love. This is in contrast to what had been going on in Corinth. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Um, especially prophecy. And we remember looking that when it talks about gifts, it's really talking about graces. These are extensions of the grace of God that turn up in us for the sake of everyone else. It's like God making you a great violinist is not just for your benefit. It's for the benefit of everyone else who gets to receive that. Verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue, anyone who glossa, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Paul will come back to this in a moment. But, contrast, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. They themselves are edified, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Again, same word, built up. 
Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And we talked about this word, and we, um, and we talked about sometimes these experiences, for some of us they're more common than others, of being in a room where you have no idea what anyone else is saying. But if you know that those people are worshipping God and praising God, sometimes it can still be edifying, even though it is certainly limited because you don't know what's going on. We're going to come back to this word. This is still Paul's main point in this passage. This is what he's calling the Corinthians to. Um, And this is why pickles will come in handy later on, cucumbers and pickles. It'll make sense, trust me. So Paul is, is giving this critical assessment of the behavior going on in the Corinthian church. And what we will see and what we're about to read is, is it seems quite clear that every time the Corinthians got together, every time they gathered in the house of Priscilla and Aquila, the ecclesia, the assembly, the gathering of God's people, it looks like the majority activity was people speaking in tongues to each other. And that that was something that had been written to Paul about and that that, that, that is the specific example that Paul is responding to. Keep that in mind as we read through here and have a look um, at what Paul is saying. We know that Paul writes these letters in response to what other people have said to him and written to him about and communicated to him about. Verse 13, we've just had (laughs) verse 12, So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, what reason? We want to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I'm going to pause a few times as we go through here. One of the things that I find interesting is in conversations with people who, who where speaking in tongues has not been part of their experience uh, of of their um, of kind of the, the Christian culture or the form of Christianity that they've grown up with is sometimes this is a comment. People go, oh, but it doesn't make any sense. That is completely scriptural. Verse 14, my mind is unfruitful. The apostle Paul, he says that when he speaks, his mind is unfruitful. It does not click up here. It is not a cognitive exercise. This is his issue with Corinth, that they are gathering and the main thing that's going on is not building up the thinking of people. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, 
but I will also sing with my understanding. And depending on your background, you may have been to, to different Christian gatherings of different sizes in different places where people sing, and the phrase that's used is to, for people to sing in the Spirit, basically people praying in tongues and singing at the same time. Paul here is saying, yes, I'm going to do that, but I will also sing with my understanding. And this, this is something for us to keep in mind for those of us who love church music and want to write music for people to, to sing with is a huge tug of war that has been going on for, for many, many centuries in Christianity around whether the music we sing, how cognitive and how deeply doctrinal should it be. If we are singing songs which are very emotional and not heavily doctrinal, then, then to what extent is that a good thing or a useful thing? Or to what extent do we need to actually sing songs where the words are simple enough so that people can understand simple concepts as well? Paul's point here is the building up of the body, that we would be built up, that we would be edified. Verse 16, otherwise... And here is really his critique of the Corinthians' behavior. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So the text here that I've got in the green is the way that Paul is measuring what's going on. Paul is now talking about the the gathering of the ecclesia needing to be something that considers newcomers. The gathering of the ecclesia needs to be something that considers inquirers or outsiders. The word there in verse 16 is idiotes, which literally means an uneducated person, someone who has not been dyed in the wool with all the stuff that we take for granted, someone who is an outsider, someone who hasn't been, been trained and immersed. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. He goes back into this, verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He is affirming the gift of speaking in tongues. But, and you'll notice throughout here, the words that I have in blue are causal words. Sorry, verse 19. But in the church, in the ecclesia, and he's not talking about church as a brick building. He's talking about the gathering of the saints. We're going to talk a lot about ecclesia at 4 p.m. this afternoon. But in the ecclesia... I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And here's where it gets particularly confusing. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. He's calling their behavior childish. Stop thinking like children in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What on earth is Paul doing here? It's like he's turned over two pages at once. Depending on the commenter, uh, the, the commentary, some people believe that Paul here in verse 21 is referring to Isaiah. You might have a footnote in your Bible with a little letter next to it. Some believe that he's referring back to um, Deuteronomy. And this idea that when God's people hear the voice of foreigners, historically, it's because God is bringing judgment to his people. That's what Paul is reminding the Corinthian church about. 
So they're all getting together and they're, and they're speaking in tongues and it sounds like the voice of foreigners. And Paul here is saying, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. It's almost as though the Corinthians are kids who've just found a brand new toy and they're not playing with anything else. They've got this thing and they're excited about it and they're doing it and it's taken over everything that's going on. And Paul here is trying to reel them back out of the misappropriate use of this grace of God. And here he says, it is written in the law with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Paul here is saying that the people of God will not pay attention to the voice of foreigners when it happens. And he confirms this, verse 22, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Tongues then are not a, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So the gift belongs to the believers, but it's not a sign for believers. It's a sign for unbelievers. You ready? It's going to get more confusing. Verse 23. So if the whole ecclesia comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Wait a second, Paul. You've just said that this gift is a sign for unbelievers. Now you're saying if we're doing it and unbelievers come in, they're just going to think that we're out of our mind. It's like Paul is saying the opposite. He's not, but we've got to get past some of the translation difficulties here. Verse 24, verse 25, then we'll, we'll fix this up. Verse 24, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone, everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming God is really among you. So Paul is saying this gift, which happens to belong to the ecclesia, if it's used with unbelievers, because believers won't listen to it, it's, that's where it's supposed to be used, is with unbelievers. But then Paul says, if an unbeliever turns up at an ecclesia gathering, at a church, and everyone's speaking in tongues, they're just going to think you're all out of your mind. Cucumbers. Told you it was going to make sense. I have here some baby cucumbers. Um, does anyone here actually like Pickle, oh, it's, cucumbers are fine. I can abide a cucumber. Pickles, I can't do. Um, and I discovered many years ago that if you go to McDonald's and you order a cheeseburger minus the pickle, they have to make you a fresh burger. Um, you get that one for free. Now, you don't get the burger for free, you get the tip for free. Here is our friend who is going to be helping us. Nicandros, or Nicander of Colophon. Now... A couple of hundred years before the time of Christ, he wrote a recipe. And in it, he talks about baptism. He wrote a bunch of different recipes, and he wrote them in poetry. And he talks, no one's going to want to eat this now. And he talks about baptism. And he talks about it this way. He says, if you actually want to turn a cucumber into a pickle, does anyone here know how to do this, by the way, to turn a cucumber into a pickle? I've never done this. I know that may shock you. He says, first of all, it has to be bapto, so dunked or, or quickly immersed in boiling water, 
and that prepares it then to be immersed for a long period of time in the brine, in the vinegar, which will actually transform it. And that's called baptizo. So in order for this to be transformed, it first needs bapto, and then it needs baptizo. And these are both words which come to influence the Christian understanding of baptism. And this is going to help us to talk about speaking in tongues. So let's imagine for a moment that you're an unbeliever and someone speaks to you in tongues for the first time and you hear your own language being spoken. That's going to get your attention. We read in Acts chapter 2 that that got people's attention, that all of a sudden it was, it was as though there was this moment of wake-up that happens for them. And this is a missionary act of the Spirit of God which has taken place. And all of a sudden, something has shocked people and prepared them. And then when Peter preaches to them and people join the fellowship, they get immersed in the kingdom of God. They get immersed in the teaching of the word. They start getting soaked in being the ecclesia. But what happens first is this thing that gets their attention. So let's imagine that, that we're dealing with a, um, with a cucumber instead of a human being. And we go, cool, we've, we bapto the cucumber. And then we go, cool, we want it to be transformed. We want it to go on the journey of transformation and become a pickle. What we're going to do is we're just going to keep baptoing the cucumber. Will it be transformed? This is a description of what is going on in Corinth. The gift of tongues plays out as a missionary act, an act of grace by the Spirit of God, the undoing of Babel, where God overrules language and does something which is beyond human cognition and it is transformative and the Corinthians so love it that when they get together rather than being the the pickling ecclesia where transformation happens and where the word is being preached and when people are praying and people are confessing their sins where people are worshipping with with their thinking and where people are engaging what they are doing is they are continually dunking the cucumber back in speaking in tongues that's what's going on in corinth make sense silly example cucumbers help And that's what Paul here is writing to correct. Paul is saying we need to have a different activity going on in the ecclesia. So what happens then is with these groups of people, these unbelievers, this is what he's talking about. Someone, someone, God has got their attention. Something has happened. They they are an inquirer. They're an unbeliever. But where have they turned up? At the ecclesia. They're not just someone off in the distance. This is someone who has turned up at a gathering of Christians, and what do they find? Everyone's still speaking in tongues. They actually, in that space, are not able to enter into the transforming work of of the Scriptures being opened, um, of of people being taught and and people wrestling with things and people confessing and, and being convicted. And that's what Paul here is contrasting. He's saying, even if they walk in, and at least if everyone's prophesying, speaking the words of God about what's going on in that time, in that space, at least then they'll be convicted of sin. 
the secrets of their heart will be laid bare. At least then they're going to give glory to God. It's, it's a common piece of this conversation with people that I come across all the time who've grown up their entire life in, in a non-missionary context where they go, this speaking in tongues stuff, I've never seen it. It doesn't seem to, to add anything. Um, I'm not entirely sure whether I have the gift or not. We need to understand our context because you may have grown up your entire life already in the pickle jar. If we have grown up in a healthy Christian environment where we are already being soaked in the word, we need to recognize that actually this gift of speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues happens more readily at the edge. It seems to function more at the edge as a missionary act of the Spirit of God, which is what we see in the New Testament. Now, Paul here says that he speaks in tongues more than anyone. And he happily talks about about praying in his spirit that it causes something to happen which is not cognitive. If you have the gift of speaking in tongues, praise God, use it. When we get into the next section of Corinth, Paul talks about what he thinks is a reasonable cap on this activity in the gathering of the ecclesia. We're going to talk about that next week. One of the other experiences which I think this cucumber picture is helpful for us to have a look at is often when these things go on, if we've grown up our whole life in the pickle jar already, if we've grown up our whole life being immersed in a, in a church family where the teaching is, is solid and we worship God with our spirit and with our intellect, where all this stuff goes on, sometimes we hear someone say something like, you know what, I've done this for 30, 40, 50 years, but you know what, I had this experience just recently where it was like God opened my eyes. And something has changed. See, this ancient pickle recipe is helpful that we can go, you know what, it's, it's not just being immersed in all the stuff of faith. Sometimes we still benefit when the Holy Spirit takes us out of our context and shocks us. It's like he cracks our heart open a little bit more so that all the stuff that's great, all the stuff that's already happening, it soaks in a bit more and it transforms us a bit more. And people have these kind of experiences all the time and they're different for everyone. I can't take my BAPTO experience and give it to you. You can't take your BAPTO experience and write a book on it and tell everyone else that they have to have that same experience. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? If a person begins to walk in the way of Jesus, if a person is someone who is an unbeliever or an inquirer and they, and they draw near because something powerful has happened to them, the person needs immersing in the body of Christ. The person needs to go on the journey of maturity and discipleship. The person needs to learn how to serve. The person needs to learn how to be in partnership for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes we can become experience addicts, and this happens. It, it is a critique sometimes of these more extraordinary bapto experiences that because they strike us 
so hard sometimes when God cracks us open that we want that, that moment to happen again because it is beautiful and it is sweet and it does reveal Christ and it does convict us of our sin. It does cut us to the heart with, with his glory and his majesty and his beauty. But we are called not just to live in the hot water but to live in the vinegar, not just to live in those momentary experiences but to live soaking in the body. Paul's main point here remains the same. Paul's main point here is the building up of the body. And I want to bring you back here to verse 14. Sorry, verse 15. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. When you pray, I trust that your spirit is engaged. But I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else, someone else who is now in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you are saying? You and I are called into community. We are called into community. And when we gather together to worship God, we need to take into account the vocabulary of other people. This is a monolingual service. We don't have an interpreter here this morning. There are churches in our state and in the union where they don't speak English at all or they have an interpreter for the handful of English-speaking people who are in that service. They are trying to take into account that they are part of the body. So I put this question to you this morning. Where are you with these two pictures Because Paul here mentions speaking in tongues, but it could have been anything which got your attention, which God used. It could have been a miraculous healing that you witnessed or or you experienced. Um, It could have been a dream or a vision. It could have been a powerful conviction of sin uh, or righteousness or the holiness of God. There's one of a hundred different things we see in the Scriptures that God reveals a facet of his identity and he gets people's attention. We see in the Old Testament that they, they said this is part of what God has revealed about himself. We, we need to, to change the way we name God. God is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. That's this thing that he's revealed in a powerful way. There is a way that God has revealed himself to you. My question this morning, in light of what we see going on in Corinthians, is this. How are you going now being in this space here, being in the vinegar? If you've grown up your entire life being in and around Christian culture and you go, you know what, something hasn't clicked yet. Lord, is this all there is? You know, Lord, I, I have kept your commandments since, since I was very, very young. It is not a sin to say, Lord, would you please just crack my heart open a little bit? Lord, would you please help me to see you more fully and more properly than I feel like I do right now? Lord God, would you remind me of who you are? We do not pursue the experience. We pursue God. But we see these different facets playing out in Corinth and we see them playing out in our own life as well. I'm going to pray and then we're going to do one more song. Lord God, we want to faithfully 
represent you to this world around us. We know that that decades ago, many, many people in this in our district, in our region, in our country, shared the same vocabulary as we do about faith-oriented things. But we see now, we see now that living as a Christian is a foreign thing in this country. And Lord, we want people to meet you. We want people to connect with you. Would you help us to be mindful that people are going to walk through the door of our get-togethers, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's on a weeknight, whether it's in someone's home, whatever space it's in, that someone is going to step through that door with questions. And Lord God, would you help us to be mindful that the goal is not us doing whatever tickles our fancy, but the goal is that people get to meet you for themselves in a way which is authentic. Lord God, in our own experience where we feel like maybe we need to be cracked open a little bit more, where there's something that needs to open our heart more for the words to sink in, for the community of faith to to have a greater transformative effect in us. Lord God, please, please hear our prayer and crack us open. Lord God, where we have been hanging on to past experiences and we've been living from one experience to the next, Lord God, would you help us in a very healthy way to be immersed in the body and in the word, to be immersed in the transforming work that you do in the body. Lord God, we ask that you would continue to be our focus. Where any of these things have gotten in the way of us belonging to you and worshipping you and giving you glory, Lord God, please correct our vision, correct our sight. Continue drawing us to yourself. We ask all these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.